I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 2 and Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 2. Today I'm in a series called What Are You Thinking? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, What are you thinking? How many ever had a kid do something? And you just looked at him and said, What were you thinking? How many of y'all are married to somebody who did something? No, y'all ain't not going to tell on nobody. What are you thinking? Come on, look over at the other neighbor, holler at him, say, what are you thinking? Today, I want to preach a sermon in this series called Free Your Mind. Free your mind. And the rest, never mind. Okay. The 80s people are in here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Free your mind. Come on, look at somebody you love. Tell them today. God wants to free your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Both passages I will read today are written through the hand of the Apostle Paul. And this first text that I want to read to you creates an understanding of, of the subject that I want to talk about, which is the carnal mind. And this is a teaching today because I really felt like God just rested and settled on me with a spirit of wisdom and revelation because... How many know if our thinking is stinking, our life will stink? And really the Lord wants to deliver us from stinking thinking. And he wants to free us from the carnal mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. And we're going to read through chapter 3 verse 4. Because how many know when Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, it was not written with a chapter and a verse. Right? It was written in one big letter, and in order for us to divide the scriptures up so that we could study them and locate them, we put chapter and verse. But as you will see as I read this, this is actually a thought that is continued between the two chapters, and I want you to pay attention to that as we read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, when you got it, say, Go Vols. But the natural man, say natural man. Come on, I need everybody to talk with me. Say natural man. Underline that, we're coming back to it. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are not spiritually, because they are spiritually, pardon me, discerned. But he who is spiritual, say spiritual man. So we got a natural man, and now we got a spiritual man. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct God? But we have the mind of Christ. Look at this. Now, this is verse 1 of the next chapter. And, everybody say and. Now, I was taught in the school that I was raised in that and is a conjunction. And that a conjunction ties what is about to be said, come on in here, Sister Jan, with what has previously been declared. So whatever I'm getting ready to read is not a new thought. It is connected to the thought that was previously stated. Are you following me? I am an English teacher on the side. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as, come on, carnal, as to babes in Christ. Keep going. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and divisions and politics, 
If you can't pray for our president because he ain't in your party, you better get saved. Well, you offended me. Well, that might be because the Christ in your brain is not the one you read about in your Bible. This is, we are living in a moment where God is shaking us to reveal what is in us. The heart of God is grieved because sometimes we're living carnally. We are people of love and we don't just love some. If you're born again, you are known by your love for people. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? So let me show you this. Go to Romans chapter 8, then I'm going to teach, and we're going to give our offering at the end, and we're going to go home set free by the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 5, Romans 8. When you got it, say, Rocky Top. Verse 5. Such a spirit of offense in the room. I love you all so much, for real. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How many want to please God? Should be our life's goal and daily ambition to wake up and honor and please Him. And today I'm going to talk about the thing in us that we all wrestle with that tries to hinder our ability to walk with and please the Father. Jesus, help me teach and Spirit of God free our minds. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the verses I read to you, the 14th verse through the 3rd chapter and the 4th verse, is written through the hand of Paul. And Paul, being a man who understands what it is to live carnally and to live spiritually, writes this to the Corinthian people, And in this writing to the church at Corinth, he gives us three categories of people. I hate to categorize things, and I'm not always a fan of trying to simplify and reduce and remove the tension that often exists in our journey. Because how many know know sometimes it's not all neat, and sometimes we don't so easily fit into categories. But Paul does, in this instance, boil down Our identity or the identity in the Corinthian church that I believe applies to our church and every other church, he boils it down to three different groups of people. The first group that he talks about is the natural man. Everyone say natural. This person has only been born once. The natural man is the unsaved, unregenerate man or woman. They've only been born once. They've been born according to and after the flesh. Through the womb of their mother they came and they've never been born again and their entire life can be understood through a natural lens. They do not have the Holy Spirit living within them. They are natural. And the second group of people that Paul talks about is the spiritual man. Everyone say spiritual man. The spiritual man, in some places, Paul refers to them as perfect. Now, this is not a good translation because perfect in the original Greek there doesn't mean sinless or flawless. It simply means mature. It means one that has matured, and the real acid test of their maturity is taken in the area of love. 
Anytime Paul or any other apostle in the New Testament talks about spiritual maturity or being spiritual, it is in the context of the increase of their love, both for God, for brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the whole world. If you want to know if you are spiritually mature, you should take an inventory of your love. Because this is how men know that you belong to Jesus, that you have love one for the other. So Paul talks about the natural unsaved man. He talks about the spiritual man or woman who has grown in their relationship with Christ and become more Christ-like in their uh, demeanor and in their disposition. And then he comes to the third chapter, and this is where, oh, this is where the wheels fall off. This is where we have serious questions in the church and in the body of Christ. I have heard it my whole life. I have wondered about it. You perhaps have too. We've heard both sides of the argument. Can a Christian be carnal? Can a person who is born again and filled with the Spirit of God live in carnality? And I want to tell you unequivocally, Based upon the word of God, and specifically here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, specifically chapter 3, there is no doubt in my mind that a Christian can live in a state of carnality. Paul says there are, a, there are natural people who are not saved. They do not have the spirit of God living in them. They've been born once. There are spiritual people who have the Holy Spirit lived in them who've been born twice. How many people have been born twice in this place? See, if you've only been born once, you'll die twice. But if you've been born twice, you'll die once. Ah, just said something that went over your head. But how many are thankful if you've been born again by the Spirit that the only death you'll ever taste is death on this side because those who die in Christ will never die a second time. We will be resurrected to new life in Christ. First Corinthians said this mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. Then will be brought to pass the saying death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory those who've been born twice born naturally and born by the spirit will only die once and when he says the spiritual man he's talking about those who've been born by the spirit of God and they are living with the Lord Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne of their heart but then he comes to the third and he says you are carnal Corinthians Don't you love Paul? He doesn't mix words. He puts a brick and a piece of velvet and smashes their carnality. It's the velvet-covered brick. I don't want to hurt you beyond repair, but I love you too much to leave you like I find you. Corinthians, you are carnal. You have divisions and strife, and you have these things that are pulling you apart. Are you not carnal? I can't even preach and teach to you what is on the heart of God for you because you cannot take it right now. You're carnal. And this carnal Christian is what I want to zero in today on because I am convinced that one reason there is such an absence of joy, one reason there is such an absence of life and peace in the life of many believers is because they are living with a mind that is an offense to God. You can literally have a mindset that offends God. You say, how is that so? I'm going to read you Romans chapter 8, verse number 7. The carnal mind is an enmity. Everyone say enmity. It's actually an opposer a resistor, something that is offensive, highly offensive to God himself when you operate in a carnal mind. Why is it offensive and why is it an enemy to God? The next B clause of the seventh verse tells us why. For the carnal mind is not subject to, everyone say subject, The word subject there literally means come under in submission to something. 
You and I, if we live with a mind that is carnal and defiled with self-centeredness, we literally live with a mindset that refuses to come up under submission to the law of God. A carnal mind will not submit to the voice or the mind of God, to the voice or the will of God. Now, pastor, I don't have this struggle. Then you are what the Bible would call spiritual. But many people in the kingdom of God find themselves at times warring with mentalities and mindsets. And here's what I want to tell you about a carnal mind. A carnal mind is not a demonic mind. There are people with a demonic mind. Y'all don't want me to talk about that. There are people with a carnal mind. There are people with a demonic mind. But a carnal mind is very different than a demonic mind. A carnal mind is actually can be possessed by a person with a born-again spirit but a self-centered way of thinking. A carnal mind, ready for this? The king in a carnal mind is not Satan, it is self. The carnal mind doesn't care about your eternal future. It only cares about making sure one thing happens, that your spirit man doesn't get stronger than your flesh. Have you ever found people who feed carnal thinking, their spirit man is over here looking like uh, Pee Wee Herman with a white flag. And, and you're waving and, and you're just all beat up spiritually because you feed your flesh and starve your spirit. If you feed your flesh and starve your spirit, your mind will become poisoned with self-centeredness and you will consume at times you will consume your own life and destroy your own self by heeding and following the lust of your flesh. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. These are things that do not come from Satan, they come from self. I wish I could tell you, all you had to do was stomp twice, clap twice and rebuke the devil. But many times, it's not the devil ruining someone's life. Many times, in order to find the culprit that steals the life of God out of someone's existence, they must look in the mirror because it is self that will sneak up. And if you're not careful, you will put yourself on the throne of your own heart and live with a mind that is poisoned with self-centeredness. And Jesus, who saved you, will be longing to sit on the throne of your heart but find no place and this carnal mind is an enmity with God this poisoned mentality this poisoned way of thinking will rob you of life and peace and lead you to death that's heavy isn't it it's heavy to say that it leads you to death, but where else can self-centeredness lead you? Where else could the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life lead you? You understand that from Genesis all the way to the end of time, there is a threefold cord of Satan. I call it the devil's triangle. How many remember the devil's triangle? You know, the, heard of the Bermuda Triangle? I'll never forget being 11 years old watching Unsolved Mysteries. Come on, one night they had an expose on Bermuda's Triangle, the Devil's Triangle, and I watched about planes flying over Bermuda Triangle and boats sailing into Bermuda Triangle, the Devil's Triangle, and they never came back home. And I told my mom the first time we went, to, we were going to go fishing. We were going to get in my dad's boat and go fishing. I said, I'm not going because we're not going to sink in the devil's triangle. Well, the Tennessee River's a few miles from the devil's triangle, but you get the point. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. It's the devil's triangle. And many people go into that place thinking they can control and manage their sin and their mind becomes defiled with self-centeredness. And oftentimes they lose their way and sometimes they even lose their ability to know how to get back to where they are. I just want to tell you today that if you're living with a carnal mind, Jesus can deliver you from it. He is the only one. The carnal mind is an enmity with God, against God. It cannot. Listen to me. When you're operating in a carnal mind and your flesh is calling the shots, it does not ever submit to God. You want to know when someone's living in a carnal mindset? They're irrational. You try to talk sense, Bible sense into them, and they won't hear you. That's why the Bible said, don't argue with a fool. You'll get caught up in his folly. Sometimes the, the best thing you can do is say, they need prayer. They don't need a lesson. So how do we free our mind from being dominated by flesh? How do we free our minds from being dominated by self-centeredness? How do we come out of a state of walking according to the flesh? You say, Pastor, that cannot be a Christian. Oh, yes, it can. Carnality is how you explain a person with eternal life giving everything away for a one-night stand. I don't know if I'm helping or offending, but it feels right. <laughs> Carnality is how you explain. God help me. It, it may not bother you when preachers fall. But every time, every time I watch it happen, I fall on my knees. I say, God have mercy on me. And please keep me from making a stupid, carnal, self-centered decision that would cause me to waste all that you have done for me. Well, I'll never do that. Paul says in Galatians, you should check yourself before you wreck yourself. Where did he say that? Well, that's a little bit of a Wallace unauthorized translation, but here's the deal. He said, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That means, oh, I'm going to teach right here. That means when somebody falls and Satan tries to overcome them, you don't circle the wagons and finish them off with a stone of religion and try to bury them in hopelessness. You say, but for the grace of God, there go I. And oh God, with tears coming down my face, let me be a healing bomb that brings hope and restoration to a brother or sister who have fallen. This self-centered, self-righteous, pious attitude floating around in the church. When someone falls, I weep. With brokenness, I lay my hands and, uh, and my, my anoint, whatever anointing God's given me, may it be imparted to those who need restoration and healing. The mind will cause you the carnal mind Thinking self-centered, selfish thoughts. It's not that Jesus hasn't saved you. It's just that you are seasonal in your submission to him. Some days he's on the throne, and when he is, you look like this. Woo! He ya 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 glory! Hallelujah! The next day, one little temptation. And the carnal mind will talk you, it'll talk you out of your future and you'll waste a whole lot of time. It's not that God won't forgive you and restore you, it's that you waste time. So what happens and how do I get out of a carnal mindset? 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk with a mindset that is an adversary to God. When God looks at me, I want him to say, boy, I like his thinking. I like the way he thinks. Son, I like the way you think. When a carnal mind is in control, the enemy knows what bait to pull out of the tackle box, put on the end of the line, and throws it right at you. But a spiritual mind says, oh, no, I've done that before. I ain't about to do that again. How do you free your mind from carnality? How do you walk with, there's only two ways for a Christian to walk, spiritually minded or carnally minded. And the vacillation between the two determines the level of life and peace you walk in. The more prone you are to walk in the spirit, the more life and peace you will experience. The more prone you are to follow your flesh and to follow yourself and to live with the mindset of carnality, the more prone you will be to live in defeat and feel like you're dying. There is nothing more, car- no, there is nothing more sad than a carnal Christian. Knowing on the inside they're born again and made for more, but deciding to abandon that and to run after the flesh. What a miserable experience. So, how do we free our mind? Three R's, and I'm going to get out of your way. Number one, we repent. We repent. Can you please find another word? That's such a heavy word. No, we are wussifying the church. I said it. We are wussifying the church, trying to create an ooey-gooey, chestnut-roasting-on-an-open-fire kind of feeling. And some people need to be rebuked in love so that we save their soul from fire. I want you to know hell is hot, it's real, and it lasts forever. And God loves you too much to let you, his child, keep living like hell while you feel like you're on your way to heaven. Repent. Repent. What does repent mean? Let's talk about this. Repent is the Greek word metanoia. We have taught that repent means I'm sorry. Repent is not I'm sorry. Repent is I, by the grace of God, will never do that again. I'm going to give you a scripture. I want you to see this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Can I take two minutes and break that down for you? Worldly sorrow is when you do something wrong and all you say is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and you cry, and just like Judas, you think the only way to escape this is to die. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry I did it. God, I'm sorry I broke your heart. Forgive me of my sin and give me the power of your grace so that I never fall into that trap again. Might I remind you, grace is not a license to sin. Paul told us in the book of Titus, the second chapter, that it is the grace of God that teaches us how to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live righteously and so in this present world. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the power to live free from the dominion of sin and to live in life and peace in the Holy Ghost. How many feel better when you've had a few days of not committing known willing sin? Lift your hand. Have you ever had like three or four days in a row or maybe a couple of weeks in a row where you haven't committed willful sin? You feel close to God, don't you? You feel a little bit of joy, don't you? You walk around giving him thanks that he broke the chains and set you free, don't you? But when you say, you know what? I got to have some of that stuff he brought me out of. I got to go back to that, that dog vomit that I got delivered from. I want some more of it. That's when you feel miserable. Why? Because you weren't made to live in vomit. You weren't made to live in a pig trough. You were made to live in the penthouse. You were made to live in the glory of God and you're miserable when you choose the flesh over the spirit 
Here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. The Lord said to me, Kevin, they, we, we, you, you need to repent when you sin because every time you sin, listen to this, taking notes, write this down. Every sin committed from the garden till five seconds ago, someone committed a sin probably in the room. Somebody probably did. Maybe you got angry with me. <laughs> Glory to God. Every sin committed from the Garden of Eden till five seconds ago, every time we committed sin, it is the result of coming into an agreement with a lie. Jesus. Every time you and I sin, it is because we came into agreement with a lie. What are you talking about, Pastor? Snake walks into the garden. Eve. Hath God said, you shall not eat of this fruit? He said not to. Oh, no, the Lord knows that when you eat of it, you will be like him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He told her if she ate the fruit, she could be like God. Eve, you're already made in the image of God. What are you talking about? Every time we sin, it's because we came into agreement with a lie. Whatever the sin is, you know us, we have the big three. We won't even talk about them. We have the big three sins, and then there's one that's above all the rest that everybody's, if you have it, you're going straight to hell. Do you know liars are going to go to hell if they don't repent? Cheaters are going to go to hell if they don't repent. Why would God say, I, I just witnessed to this wonderful young man. They came and changed some locks at my house this past week. Tremendous young kid, just full of life and just a little bit looking for God right now and didn't even know if he believed in God. He said to me, how could a good God send anyone to hell? I said, sir, can I help you understand something? Hell was not created for anybody. Persons were not created to go to hell, and hell was not created for people. Hell was created for Satan and demons. Anyone who goes to hell will not go there because God sent them. It is the only place you can live without God for eternity. If you say no to Jesus all your life, you are essentially saying, I don't want you. And if you don't want him, he loves you too much to make you want him. So he says, if you don't want me, the only place you can live without me is in a place I created for Satan and demons. Repentance is us coming out of agreement with lies. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to lie. In my heart or in the bed, I'm going to commit adultery, whatever. All you have to do to get out of a carnal mind is come out of agreement with the lie. And when you come out of agreement with the lie and you say, Father, forgive me, and you change your mind about your behavior, he actually, I could see him wadding the sin up. What is that? That's the sea of forgetfulness. And that's where he throws your sin. Never to go fishing and bring it back up again. When he forgives it, he says, I will remember your sins and iniquities no more. If God doesn't remember it, then ignore the religious dry hide that tries to keep it before you. If it's under the blood, shout because he who has been forgiven of much, the same loveth much. Repent. Say that, repent. Let me say this and I'm moving to point two. If you sin, repent immediately. Why? Because repentance brings you back into the light. You come out of agreement with the lie and into the agreement with truth. Mind gets set free. Heart gets set free. Sins get forgiven. And you're able to walk in fellowship with God. The psalmist said, that if you regard sin in your heart, then God doesn't answer that prayer. Now that's heavy. 
But one reason there's little, such little answered prayer in some lives is because we sin, 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 and we don't stop and say, I come out of agreement with that. That is not my identity. How many ever heard somebody say, well, let me give you a piece of my mind. You're like, don't let the devil get you killed. Come on. Let me give you a piece of my mind. We would rather have a piece of peanut butter pie, right? When you sin and you fall, be word, deed, action, whatever, immediately, the quicker you come out of agreement with the lie and into the agreement with truth is the quicker you come out of carnality back in the spirit. Repent. Metanoia is not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Metanoia is, I'm sorry, forgive me. Let me never do that again and restore me so everything you said you were going to do in my life, you do it. This is the difference between Judas, I'm moving on, and Peter. Both sinned gravely. Judas' sin was no more heinous, part yes, no more heinous than Peter's sin. There is one reason why Judas hung himself, and there is one reason why Peter was at the campfire and was restored by Jesus. Because Judas sorrowed with a worldly sorrow. He wept, but he did not change his mind. Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. Three times Peter denied the Lord. Three times Jesus said, do you love me? Why did it, why did it match? Because the restoration of Jesus is always deep as the sinner's sin. Repent. Everyone say Repent. You cannot have a spiritual mind if you've engaged in self-centered activity, heaped upon yourself the lust of the flesh, done everything self-wanted, fulfilled it all. You can't live in spiritual thinking by following carnal thoughts. I'm going to say this and I'm done on point one. Sometimes you got to tell your flesh to shut up. You think I'm just being funny. I've looked in the mirror and said, no! That's crazy. Well, you got you to straighten the flesh up sometimes. You really yell at yourself? I have. I told Kevin, shut up! What's wrong with you? It's what's right with me. I refuse to let Kevin screw up Kevin's life. Number two, uh, when you sin, this is too good not to read. In his gracious love, God will use his word, his voice within, or in drastic situations, a prophet to confront the sin that we have committed. Committed. The confrontation, be it through the Holy Spirit, the Word, or a prophet, is intended to produce conviction. Conviction is intended to produce repentance or a change of thinking and behavior. God wants us to repent so that we can walk in fellowship with him. Number two, renew. Everyone say renew. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Watch this. I beseech you, brothers, you know this verse. Therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. If your mind conforms to the pattern of this world, you will have a carnal mind. This world has a pattern. Amen? The world teaches you things like this. If you're going to move up, you got to step on people. The world teaches you that if you want to live a life full of joy, jump out of the parameters and the barriers of religion. We're hearing a whole lot of that in this cancel culture. Cancel everything. We want to cancel God, but you can't cancel God. And you can't cancel his word. And I don't care how culturally acceptable it is for us to throw off restraint. You better thank God for grace and for showing you the way. Because those things that lost people call 
um, boundaries or religious bondage. Let me help everybody in this room understand something. I'm thankful for some religious boundaries that taught me things that kept me out of situations where I'm grateful today by the grace of God and I give him glory that I don't have to worry about having an STD and I don't have to wonder who I slept with last night and I don't have to worry about my taxes because, come on somebody, I I thank God for the boundaries and some of us have got to start looking at boundaries and stop saying I I have felt so boxed in all my life because of religion. No, he kept me out. Freedom comes to those who respect and honor the boundaries of the word of God. The boundaries of the word. Renew your mind. How do you do that? First thing is we have to have a word life. Your mind that has not been exposed to the word will be inclined to be shaped by the pattern of the culture and the world around us. Let me give you three things here about the word of God. The word feeds you, the word leads you, and the word reads you. Number one, the word feeds you, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, come on, word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm going to go find a church because I need somebody who can feed me. I ain't getting fed. You, you are 52. You got, you got an app with 62 versions of the Bible on it. And you got a prayer app that you can have somebody read you a bedtime story before you go to bed so you can slip off to, to, to bed in peace. You got YouTube with thousands of sermons. You got 46 Bibles in your, in, your, in your living room. And you gonna go find a church where somebody can feed you? Do you know what I would tell my 19-year-old son if he came in the kitchen and was like, Daddy, feed me. Oh, okay. See this cupboard? That's microwavable. That requires water in a pot. You are 19 years old graduating from Lee University with a degree in political science. Feed yourself. Y'all can't handle me today. I can sense the offense in the house. But we got people floating from church to church because even though they're 52, they're six years old in the spirit and have never learned to study and read the Bible for themselves and their mind is carnal because they don't know how to feed themselves. Well, do you always feel like reading the Bible? No, I read it till I want to read it. Because discipline leads to devotion. I don't sit down every morning. Angels don't pick me up and carry it in my kitchen table and open the Bible and say, this has been prepared for you today. (laughs) I'm on a Bible reading plan. Why? Because sometimes my flesh says, you don't feel like doing this. Oh, God, I can't make that phone call. Got to send that email. Got to go take care of that. Got to go send that in the mailbox. And sometimes I have to say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If my day is going to be filled with life and peace, my mind must come into harmony and agreement with the truth of God's word. It feeds me. Number two, it leads me. Thy word Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You get in the Bible, you'll make better decisions. You get in the Bible, the Bible will keep you from marrying the wrong people. Do you realize how much time we have to spend sometimes counseling marriages that never should have happened? 
Y'all not going to say nothing in here, but I've been doing it for 22 years. I know what I'm talking about. We have to counsel marriages because people got married after the flesh because she was 36, 24, 36, and he was fine with his six-pack. And you got married because she looked fine and he looked good, but you didn't look up under the hood, baby. You got to go. Come on in here. You can look at the car all you want, but that engine got to work for it to go somewhere. And we got a lot of people making... Oh, yeah. I'll have another lesson one Sunday and if you'll come back next Sunday I won't offend so many people and talk so rawly but we got so much stuff in the church screwed up because we ain't talking about real issues and if you're going to live right you got to be led by the word of the Lord and you can't you can't listen to your flesh and then blame God that your mess didn't work out that God never sanctioned or blessed okay the word feeds you the word leads you and the word reads you. I didn't say you read it. You need to read it. But while you're reading it, it will read you. James 1, 23. Anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets that mess that was on his face. But when he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. This word will read you. You'll read it and you say, oh, oh, boy, that's, that's me. Sorry, God. Forgive me. Let that word marinate in you all day. Don't just read it and be like, yeah, that's me. Thanks, Lord, for the devotional. And then you walk, around, walk away and you forget who you were and how messed up you were and start living according to the messed up you. Whereas if you get that word in you and carry it with you all day long, when you read them scriptures like, by this shall men know you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. If you carry that with you, then when hateful tries to rise up in your carnal mind, the Holy Ghost in you that read the word that day, that day that showed you what the word said, say, oh no, Kevin, that person that cut you off, it ain't worth showing your hateful side because I dealt with that hateful side and that carnal self ain't going to be God today. Today, the Holy Ghost is going to be God and instead of instead of showing them a finger this is too practical for some of y'all but instead of showing them a finger so I'm going to tell you how this works yesterday was it yesterday two days ago me and my, my precious girls and my wife were in the car going somewhere and y'all know how they got that emergency lane Right? Mm -hmm. And it was on 153, and there were 732 million people on 153 on Friday at 5 o'clock. I'm closing in a minute, but I'm going to deliver my soul while I'm preaching right now. And we're driving down 153, and traffic is horrific. It looked like L.A., and there's that little emergency lane, and we are a quarter of a mile maybe from the exit. Wasn't nobody else getting off on the exit. Wasn't nobody else. I said, Devin, get in the emergency lane. We're in a hurry. We got over there, and you know them little things in the emergency lane? I said, Devin, can you please straddle that? That's getting on my nerves. I can't handle this. She said, it was your idea to get in the emergency lane anyway. How in the world are you going to tell me to get in the emergency lane? And now you can't handle the noise. So I said, okay, my bad. Stay on it. I don't care. Just get there. So we're going, and this woman in a Subaru. She might be sitting in here right now. She pulled over in the emergency lane and would not let us by. I said, Devin, beep the horn. She said, I will not. I said, you beep it or I will. And the girl said, Dad, calm down. And then I thought, Lord, you saved me from COVID. I'm so sorry. I repent. You delivered my life from death. Jesus. I'm telling you what I said. It's true. I had to repent. Watch this. That woman straddled that lane all the way to that exit. And when we got up by her, Devin went around, got up in front of her. And when we passed her, I went like this. 
true story. Four months ago, but I was walking in the Holy Ghost. I came out of agreement with a lie into agreement with the truth. Here's the point. That morning I spent time with the Father. Brian helped me. My soul was overcome with thanksgiving. I had spent some time in prayer that day and tears had filled my eyes. And I would spent some time in the Word that day and my mind got transformed and I remembered the goodness of God and, 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 and what, what, what might have set us off in the past. All of a sudden it just don't matter no more. I was going down Brainerd Road this morning to get my coffee and a dude, I'm in a, I'm in a bi-turbo V8 car and a dude in a Honda pulled up beside me and revved up the engine at a red light. I'm like, oh, let me put this thing in sport mode. Click. You go, bro, for real. You in a battery charged Honda. I ain't got nothing wrong with a battery recharge Honda, but just don't be picking up a, 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 a gunfight and bring a knife, right? Come on. So, so the red light came, and right before I hit it, the Holy Ghost said to me, for real? You in an imaginary race with a Honda battery-powered car? My man ran off and left me. And it sounded like a, well, never mind, it just was embarrassing. But he just, Aah! and I just eased it. Enjoy my drive to get my coffee. Why? Because the first thing I did this morning when I woke up, this is your day, Lord, and I'm yours. I don't, listen, I'm not telling you that I always I always succeed and win. I'm just telling you my stories over the last few days. If you don't submit it to God, self will take over. Last R, first is repent. Number two, number two is renew. Don't conform to the world. Transform by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Through the word and through spending time honoring his presence. And number three, reset. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. Listen to me carefully. Living in the spirit does not happen accidentally. You mean I got to do something? Yes. All you got to do is train your mind to surrender and submit and honor the Holy Spirit in your life. Set your mind. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. The, the Greek word for set is phroneo. It doesn't mean the individual thoughts. It is the sum total of your way of thinking. You literally get to decide what kind of mindset you have. Well, whatever I think is just what comes to my mind, and this is the thoughts that I have, and this is the mind God gave me. No, you have to discipline and train your mind. And you even have to mortify the deeds of your flesh. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, last verse. This is it. I'm done. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever is of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise or anything praiseworthy, watch, meditate, think on these things. Wait a minute, pastor. I, have you ever heard someone say, I can't control my thoughts? Actually, you can. 
And the reality of it is what you're saying, and I understand what you're saying, there are thoughts that come into your mind and mind that we cannot control. How many have ever had ungodly, hideous, horrible thoughts come to your mind? There's a difference between that thought and it being an intention. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and sunder and joints and marrow. Watch. And the Word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents. So what happens, Pastor, when I have a horrible thought come through my mind? Martin Luther said, don't build a nest for it. Let it pass over. When those thoughts come, I say, Lord, you know that one. That one wasn't me because I don't want it. Hell can have it back. But whatever things are good, whatever things are lovely, noble, just, and of a good report, I'm going to choose to meditate on those things. And if I meditate on pure, holy, lovely, honest things that are praiseworthy and just, it helps me to have a spiritual mind and not live, eat up with a carnal, self-centered mind. Everyone stand with me. I'm through. Two things I want to pray for. Number one, I want to pray for anyone in this room who wants to give their heart to Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And if you're a, a natural man who's only been born once or a natural lady who's only been born once, but today you want to get born again and you want Jesus to save you, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, I want to tell you today on the authority of God's word, number one, he loves you and will save you. And number two, if you will turn to him, he will forgive you of every sin and he will cause you to be his child. By his power and grace, he will rescue you and save you and make you new. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's moving. Just another minute. Pastor, pray for me. I need to give my heart to Jesus today. I don't understand everything there is to know. I don't even understand everything that's happened in this service today, but I know Jesus is dealing with my heart and I, I don't want to keep living like I'm living. I want Jesus to save me. Would you pray for me, Pastor? If that's you, when I say three, lift your hand. Jesus wants to save you. One, two, three, right now. Anyone, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Just lift your hand. I want to know who to pray for. I want to know who to pray for. I see a hand back there. God bless you. I see a hand back there in the back. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the person on your left and right, whether you've known them your whole life or you never met them before today, just ask them this one question. Do you need someone to go to the altar and to pray with you? And if you lifted your hand or you know you should have, when that person asks you that question, would you just both come stand with me? And if no one asks you and you want to come by yourself, I won't let you stand alone. I'll stand with you. Right now, ask the person on your left and right, do you need someone to go to the altar with you? And if you lifted your hand and you want Christ to save you, would you, would you just come with me right now? Just come to the altar. We're going to pray today. I don't want to talk you into anything. I just want to give anyone that wants to. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anybody, 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 I want to give my heart to Jesus. Is anybody in this place at all who wants to come? Anybody at all before we go? God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you for coming. Come on. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Come here, sweetie. Carolyn, come help me. Jesus, anyone else, anyone else, I want to give my heart to the Lord. Anyone who would say, Pastor, today's message, I needed it. And I want to live spiritually minded. I want to leave the flesh in the dust and the carnal mind behind. Anybody other than me that want to live with a free mind in Christ, come on, lift your hands. Jesus, you see every hand that's lifted. I thank you today for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that has rested upon your people. Today's self, you better hear me, self. You're going to submit and surrender to the Lordship of God. He's going to sit on the throne of our hearts. We're going to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We're not going to offend God with a carnal mind. But today, God, we want to be people who walk in the spirit. And I praise you, Lord, today for a grace being released that will empower us not to live in the flesh but after the spirit. Thank you for the repentance that you're granting in this room today. Someone is changing their mind and saying, Father, forgive me. Someone is getting rid of an anger issue, a, a lust issue. Lord, it's all rooted in self-centeredness, but today, Jesus, you're the Lord of all. And I thank you for what you're doing in hearts and lives. 
in Jesus' name. Now I want to pray this morning for your giving. We're getting ready to give. You can give on the way out. There are boxes in the back. They're going to put the, on the screen. They're going to put the ways you can give. You say, why would you wait to the end? Because I believe God saves the best for last. And how many know giving is not something we get out of the way? It's something we ought to be thankful we're able to do. I want you to be blessed in this economy. I want you to pay attention not to the wind and the storms, but to pay attention to the promises of God. How many believe his promises are yes and amen? So I want every tither and every giver to throw your hands up right now before you leave. I'm going to bless you. And I want you to give today online. You can give by text or you can give in the box, but make sure you lift your hands in a receiving position because this week somebody is going to get blessed. This week a door is going to open. This week somebody's litigation and lawsuit that's been tied up is getting ready to get loose, and it's going to be in your favor. Come on, somebody. Promotion is coming to somebody this week. I declare increase is coming to someone this week, all because we serve a good God who loves seeing his children blessed. Father, bless every family. Bless every giver. Bless the tithers. Bless those with offering. I pray for our people. Every family connected to this house, bless them good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. May the power and the goodness of God be poured out upon us this week as we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. If you receive it today, somebody say amen. I love your family. We'll see you Wednesday night. Be a giver. Be generous on your way out. Go in the peace of God. The Lord be with you this week.